Malachi 4, after Zechariah 4, Matthew. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great, for the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So what he's saying here is before Jesus returns the second time, and when he came the first time, that, that, that God was actually going to move with what? A revival of love. And so he said that, that the hearts of the generation are actually going to be turned back to God, and the hearts of, of his children are going to be turned back to one another. And so, if he's talking about the heart and he's talking about love, as it was when John the Baptist came, and he, and he told everybody, repent. So what he was saying when he was telling them to repent, he said, listen, something is coming on the earth that you've never seen before. So repent, change the way that you think so that you'll be prepared to receive this love that's about to be introduced into the earth. You know that God was not referred to as Father before Jesus came. And so he personalized God. Before, in, 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 in Jewish writings, they couldn't even write the name of God. It was considered so holy and so sacred and so apart. They couldn't go before him, but it was only the priests, the high priests that could go before him. They didn't know him in that loving, relational way. And like we talked about on Thursday, that we are to be made in the image of God, meaning that we are to be made in the image of love. That the nature of God, that we are called to, to represent him, to represent him, and to be the image of him on the earth, is God of love. So we're to have the nature of of God, our Father, and we are to have the motivations of God, our Father. And so everything that we do needs to come and spring forth out of that place of love. And it's interesting to me how God uh, gets us to that place of love, and that's really what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the, the title of this message is Love and Ain't Easy. It could be a country song. In fact, Jared, if you want to go ahead and write that, turn uh, in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. Um, it's very interesting because loving really is difficult at times, right? People are, people are prickly. It's like we're porcupines. You know, and everywhere we go, we brush up against other people, and, and we don't even sometimes want to get close to other people because they're prickly and we're prickly. I mean, have you ever seen two porcupines, mate? Very carefully. Yeah, I did just say that, actually. Ephesians 4 13. Okay, and Ephesians, Paul's talking about 
equipping of the saints for the works of the ministry. So he's talking about the fivefold ministry. And he said something very interesting here in verse 13. He said, until there is coming an until moment in history where I'm going to give the fivefold ministry to the church and people are going to function in this fivefold ministry. And he said, until we come to the unity of the faith, that means the Godhead connected and, and coming to the unity with man. And the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge of, of Jesus, the revelation of the knowledge of Jesus, we talked about this on Thursday night, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he is saying here that this is available to you. That you would actually come and be matured into the perfect man. And a lot of people say, well, this is, this is when... During the millennial reign, when Jesus comes back on the earth, then we will be perfected. But that's not what he says. He goes on in verse 14 and he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the plain craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head of Christ. That sounds like we're still going to be here because if there is opportunity to be deceived, then we know that we're still on this side of the millennial reign. So if there is an opportunity for us to be perfected, how is it that we go about doing this? How is it that we can truly walk in a perfected nature of God where we are reflecting the image of God in the earth today? Because I, I'm, I'm kind of impatient. Patience is not really one of the gifts in the, of the spirit that I, I, I'm good at. I'm good at it when it comes to love, but I'm not good at it when it comes to God. I don't know about you, but I'm so hungry for all that God has for me today. You know, and then I'm hungry after more tomorrow. I'm so not satisfied with what he with what he's done yesterday. It's like, yeah, that was good, but there's but I want what you have for me tomorrow and next week. I want it today. I want to take that and I want to pull it into the now. Amen? So he's talking to us and he's talking to you, not about the things that you go around doing. It's not about going around and working, working, working for God. But, but he's truly concerned about your inner life and the inner man and the condition of your heart because everything on the outside will reflect what's on the inside. Every word that you speak, every thought that you have will directly be reflective of your heart condition. That's why he said that the generation before my second coming, it will be before the great and dreadful day. Great because there will be those that have been perfected in love and terrible because great hardship will come on the nations right? But those that know their God, Ephesians 4, 15, those that know God, they're walking in the knowledge and the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it is the knowledge and the revelation that transformed them into that image. You cannot be transformed opposite of this reality. I can't be transformed until I get the revelation of Jesus out of his word. And one of the problems with the church today, I believe, is that there has become a complacency because of familiarity. 
because it's like, yeah, we're just going through the routine. We're going to church, we're doing the stuff, we're reading the word, and we're so bored. Right? So I was um, hanging out, and I'm actually driving to God's car because John is um, hunting um, with Samuel to turkey hunters. Go ahead and take everything off that turkey that doesn't make it look like pilgrim packaging. I'm not that wise. I'm not. Have you that show right now where Kim? That dynasty. I'm not that woman. We don't eat squirrel. Anyway, one of the things that I ask people that I'm discipling is are you surrendered to love? Have you surrendered your life to love? It's the opposite of fighting for what is yours because in the kingdom, everything is upside down. Kind of like skiing downhill. Have you ever skied downhill? When the, the instructor tells you, okay, now you're skiing downhill. You are on a downhill slope and you're like, I'm going to die. And then he tells you, now I want you to lean into the mountain. I want you to lean downhill. And you're like, no, no. I got I to lean back because that's going to slow you down. And he's like, no, no, no. It's the opposite of what you think. You actually have to lean into the mountain of God. You have to lean into God. You have to surrender the way that you think things are going to go, and you have to surrender the things that you think, and you've got to completely give yourself over to, to God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to fall down the mountain. So I'm listening. Uh, so I got John's car. So I'm listening to uh, the Bible on CD, and um, and and the Lord's been pricking my heart about this message of love, and I'm listening to the story of Moses, and when he's arguing with God about going into the promised land, so you've got God and he's this burning bush in front of him that isn't consumed, right? So you've got this Holy Spirit supernatural thing happening, and and what is Moses doing? He stutters, so he's probably saying, not me, I can't go, you know? So he's really having a hard time getting out the words because he's like, he sees himself as, as, as Gideon did. I'm, I, I am the least, I'm a murderer, I'm all of these things. So he goes through this checklist of what he has to deliver the people of God. How many of you are like that? I am. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't preach the gospel. I'm a woman. And in America, women don't preach the gospel. I can't preach the gospel because I didn't go to seminary. And I can't, I can't heal the sick. I can't, you know, I haven't been, how does this work? I can't, I can't, I can't. And so you go through the whole list. And, and the Lord says over and over and over to us, So he's talking to Moses and he's telling him this. Finally, Moses agrees after he throws his brother into the mess. He's like, okay, if Aaron goes, I'll go. So I don't know if Aaron was more eloquent or what, but turn your Bibles to Exodus 5. Those lights are going up and down. You see that? 
right, 25. So he starts to tell the story of Sephora. This is one of my favorite stories, man. It's one of weird stories. Anyway, so Moses is married to Zipporah. He is setting off. He's, he's, he's packing up his whole plan to go back into Egypt. And his wife does something very interesting. God appears, and God is going to kill them. So Zipporah does what? She takes a sharp stone and she cuts off the foreskin of her son and casts it at Moses' feet and says, Surely you are the, a bridegroom of blood to me. It's just a weird passage. Don't you think? It's just like, what? But what happened is she had a revelation of Jesus in that moment. Remember, it's the revelation of Jesus that causes you to come alive in love. So she has a revelation, and she calls him the bridegroom. Remember John the Baptist? What did he say? He said, my joy is full because I heard the voice of my bridegroom. So they're introducing Jesus as a lover. They're introducing a romantic gospel even when Zipporah is talking to Moses. He's talking to God, and she said she understood the circumcision. So what she does is she takes the stone that is Jesus Christ. She cuts away of the circumstances and throws it at his feet and says that this is the, the what did she say? Let's look at it again. She said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, meaning God, let him go. And she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The word circumcision and circumstance have the same root word. It means that the things that surround you are cut off through the blood. That what he's doing is he died on the cross so that you could come to the fullness of his love. And he uses the circumstances of your life, that word stance means the things that stand all the way around you. And he'll take all of that and he'll use all of it, all of it. I'm talking about the finances. I'm talking about the relationships, even the sickness, to bring you into a place of the fullness of His love. Because it causes us to break away from that familiarity where we're so bored. And it causes us to then get awakened and begin to press in for the more. I wish it wasn't that way. Somebody said to me one time, "You're going to God's going to help you. It's going to be by prayer or persecution." And he's like, "If I can't get you through prayer, I'm so jealous for you to come to the fullness of my love." God doesn't need your love. He knows that you need His love. He wants to. Did He say that in Revelation 22? Does it say that He comes back for a workforce? Does he come back for an army of workers? No. He comes back for a bride that has prepared herself for the 
is that when circumstances of life cause you hardship instead of accusing me and instead of accusing one another, you will actually come to me and mourn over your heart condition instead of putting up a wall and self-protecting and getting that mask up so nobody can see the truth of the heart break in you. That somebody has disappointed you or that I have disappointed you. God knows what you're dealing with anyway. And He's saying, if you will mourn, then I will comfort you. And that word comfort means I will come to you and I will surround you. I will circumcise you. I will come to you and I will speak to you words of comfort so that what I put and what I've allowed, which he has, those circumstances in your life, by the way, you think it's the enemy, which it probably is, but that went through the hand of God to get to you. Nothing comes near you. God's hand is over you and nothing comes near you unless he allows it. And so he takes that and uses it to create a beautiful garden in that place in your heart that, that he knew needed to be resurrected. So that you could come to the fullness of life. And so as I was reading this, and I was getting this revelation about mourning, the Lord began to put his finger on something in my own heart that I had kind of walled up about. And I had had so many why or facts why something had gone wrong or why people were acting the way that they were towards me. And, and you know, I have my laundry list of all of all of the reasons why it was unfair, why they were wrong and, and I was right. And the Lord just put his finger on it. And I just really began to mourn over that. And there was such a release in it but more than that, I felt the mask come down. I felt that I'm going to be strong in this area. I'm going to be, you know, I can handle it. I can, you know, all of the things that we assign to ourselves that, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I'm going to, you know, put my boots on and walk this off. I'm going to, um, you know, whatever it is that we say to ourselves that would say, I, I'm... I don't want to say that I'm unworthy. I don't want to. I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel these things. But he's like, listen, if you just come to me and mourn over this loss of reputation, or mourn over the loss of your dreams, or mourn over the loss of a relationship, I will come to you and I will surround you and I will circumcise you and comfort you. The words of life will begin to come in that place because what we're doing when we're mourning is we're actually being real with God. By saying, I'm so hurt. I'm so disappointed. I've got sorrow in my heart and I'm yearning. And you begin to speak truth then and you get real and the mask breaks away. So the reason, for, the, the question for you and for me is how much of Jesus are we going to let in? Turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 
this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And he says this, when Christ died on the cross, when he went to the cross, the truth is, he went to the cross and it was his big pleasure Again, he wasn't seeing. Oh, Father, I can't wait for an army of workers. Oh, God, I want to establish another religion on the earth. But what he was saying to himself is that he knew the reason that he came, that he lived. And that he was dying for his blood. He was dying for life. And he went through everything that he went through. The 40 lashes. Because they said that when his body hung on the cross, he wasn't even recognizable. Because he wanted us to understand the fullness of the price that he paid for you. You really had to be personal, that you could really get it. And really, really loved you. Because he's like, if you can't receive this, it's a free gift. And it is the most extravagant love that you will ever experience. It goes beyond human love. It will captivate you. It will transform you. There is no human love on the earth that can touch this kind of love. And so he's saying, will you mourn with me? And the word says that you are in Christ before the beginning of time. So when he was hanging on that cross, you were actually in him at that moment. And if we refuse to surrender our lives to the working of the cross, then we cannot become that, that image of God on the earth. 
Will not die if you let it go. 